70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. KBS 日本語放送のリスナーラジオネームゆずと申します。私の聴取歴は今年で3年目です。my radio name is Yutsu, and I'm a regular listener of KBS World Radio Japanese Service. I live in Sapporo, Hokkaido. My listening experience of three years is nothing compared to long-time listeners, but I tune in daily because it is so interesting. KBS World Radio Japanese Service is like a friend who brings updates from Korea. I can get information about my favorite K-dramas and movies, while I can communicate with other listeners through listener comments on all the programs. I did a phone interview earlier this year, and the listeners were so kind. It's become a great memory for me. After the COVID-19 restrictions were lifted, I see many Korean tourists here in Hokkaido. I plan to visit Seoul to experience Korea firsthand. I promise I will keep tuning in. I love you, KBS World Radio Japanese Service. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Hello, it's Tuesday the 19th of December and welcome to another edition of Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang-woo. President Yoon Seung-yeol has named his picks for the new head of the National Intelligence Service and foreign minister in a further shake-up of his cabinet. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. For our in-depth today, we'll hear from two opposing voices to the government's controversial plan to increase the enrolment quota of medical students. And then coming up for Touch Basin's Hole, we meet a Taekwondo world medalist from Ecuador who now works for the International Federation governing the sport here in Korea. We have all that and more in today's Korea 24. President Yoon Seung-yeol has tapped his national security advisor as his next spy chief and a former vice foreign minister as the top diplomat. The presidential office also announced that it will establish a new third deputy director at the National Security Office responsible for economic security, adding to officials overseeing foreign affairs and national defence. For this and other major headlines of the day, we have in the studio with us Deputy Editor-in-Chief of KBS World's English News Service, Kim In-kyung. In-kyung, hello. Hello, Tango. President Yun announced another reshuffle on Tuesday after nominating seven ministers earlier this month in anticipation of April's general elections. Can you tell us about the latest shake-up? Sure. President Yoon nominated his national security adviser to be his next spy chief, while a former vice foreign minister has been tapped for the ministry's top position. National security adviser Cho Tae-yong was named as the new spy chief after Yoon effectively fired National Intelligence Service Director Kim Gyu-hyun last month in the wake of a controversy over personnel affairs within the agency. 
At the foreign ministry, former second vice foreign minister Chu Teol was nominated to replace current top diplomat Pak Jin, who announced last week that he intends to return to the National Assembly as a lawmaker ahead of the general elections next year. Both chose are career diplomats and graduates of Seoul National University. The presidential office also announced a reorganization of the National Security Office. Can you explain? The top office will establish a new third deputy director at the National Security Office responsible for economic security. The new position joins the first deputy director overseeing foreign affairs and the second responsible for national defense. A high-ranking presidential official said the reorganization is aimed at responding to a major shift in the international economic order and that the new deputy director will serve as the command tower to prevent disruptions to supply chains. Yes, the potential new spy chief and foreign minister will, of course, have to contend with the threat from North Korea. On that front, a day after Pyongyang launched an intercontinental ballistic missile, South Korea, the United States and Japan began operating a real-time sharing system for North Korean missile warning data. Can you tell us more? The three nations activated the system on Tuesday following an agreement at a trilateral defense ministers' meeting in November. The data will comprise three types of information, launch point, flight trajectory, and predicted impact point. The sites won't share advanced information such as signs of a launch or detection systems. The measure is aimed at detecting North Korean missile launches in real time to ensure the safety of the public. Meanwhile, the ministry also said that the three nations have established a multi-year training plan and will hold regular exercises from next year. The training will include anti-piracy exercises, maritime missile defense and anti-submarine warfare drills. Regarding Monday's missile launch, North Korea said on Tuesday that it test-fired a Hwasong-18 solid-fuel ICBM, which is easier to transport and faster to fire than liquid-fuel weapons. Uh, What else did North Korea say about the launch? According to the North State-run Korean Central Broadcasting Station on Tuesday, the Central Military Commission of the Workers' Party ordered the launch as a powerful warning against the dangerously intensifying situation on the Korean Peninsula. The state media said the missile reached an altitude of 6,518 kilometers and flew 1,002 kilometers for 74 minutes before accurately hitting the intended target. North Korean leader Kim Jong-un reportedly watched the launch and expressed great satisfaction, saying that the effort demonstrated the country's offensive strength and absolute nuclear war deterrence capabilities. Let's move on now to domestic politics. A Seoul court issued a pre-trial detention warrant for former Democratic Party chief Song Young-gil on Monday in connection to a bribery scandal surrounding the party's 2021 leadership election. So what reason did the court give for granting this warrant? The Seoul Central District Court cited a risk of evidence tampering as well as the gravity of the case. The court also said that it has been verified that the suspect received a large amount of illegal political funds and was partially involved in a bribery scheme related to the party leadership primary. As you know, Song is suspected of involvement in the distribution of 66.5 million won, around $51,000 to DP lawmakers and regional party heads, ahead of the party convention in 2021, after which became its leader. He's also suspected of creating an illegal political fund totaling 763 million won. In other news, Hyundai Motor Company said its board approved the sale of a stake in a plant in Russia, which had suspended operations due to the Russia-Ukraine war. Can you tell us more? 
The automaker said the board approved the sale of a stake in Hyundai Motor Manufacturing Rust in St. Petersburg. It is negotiating the terms of the sale with Russian firm Art Finance, including a buyback option. HMMR is Hyundai Motor's sixth production base overseas. It began operating in 2011, but suspended operations in March of last year due to the war. And finally, it's been a cold few days here in Korea. We saw some snowfall in Seoul today and I understand that more is forecast over the next couple of days. Can you update us on tomorrow's weather? Sure. There'll be heavy snow in the western coastal regions of South Chungcheong Province, the Jeolla Provinces and Jeju. The weather agency is forecasting more than 15 centimetres of snow in parts of North Jeolla Province through Wednesday and between 5 and 10 centimetres of snow in the west coastal areas of South Chungcheong Province. One to three centimeters of snow is expected for Seoul and surrounding areas as well as Gangwon Province's inland regions. Morning lows tomorrow will stand between minus 12 and 1 degrees Celsius, including minus 9 in Seoul. Afternoon highs will slip 4 to 5 degrees compared to Tuesday to stand at between minus 7 and 4 degrees. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. The largest doctors group in the nation, the Korean Medical Association, held a rally in central Seoul on Sunday to protest the government's plans to increase the medical student enrollment quota. The plan is aimed at tackling physician shortages and regional disparities in medical services. The KMA says simply increasing doctors will not solve the issues and that it will lead to unintended consequences. However, there is overwhelming public support for the plan, with a recent survey by the Korean Health and Medical Workers Union showing that 9 out of 10 members of the public were in favour of it. For today's In-Depth, we'll first speak to a representative from the KMA to hear their stance on the matter. After that, we'll connect with a guest for another opinion. First, joining us on the line is Dr. Do Kyung-hyun, Executive Board Member of International Affairs at the KMA. Dr. Do, hello and thank you for your time. Uh, hello, thank you for providing me with the opportunity to share my opinion today. First, can you tell us about the rally that took place in Seoul on Sunday? How did it go and why did the KMA feel that it had to hold the rally in the first place? Yeah, the purpose of the mass rally on last Sunday is to obstruct the government's unilateral medical school demand survey and the policy to increase medical school enrollment. It aims to rectify the deteriorating medical sector in Korea. The, the active cooperation of various regional medical associations and affiliated organizations in opposing the increase in medical school enrollment quotas has been instrumental in the preparation of the mass rally. I understand the doctors group also began an in-house vote, which began last week, Monday, and ran until Sunday, on whether to hold another rally to protest the government's plan. Can you tell us about uh, the, the, the vote, sorry, uh, to hold another massive strike to protest the government's plan? Can you tell us the results of the vote? Uh, as for the result of the survey on the strike, we do not plan to announce them separately. The survey is intended to gauge the opinions of our members. 
I see. So it's not public uh, yet on whether there will be another strike, but it was something uh, that the group was considering. So then, can you explain to us in more detail what is the KMA's stance on the government's plans to increase the medical school admissions quota? Why is the KMA against it? Uh, yeah, the government's current plan to expand medical school quarters, including the demand survey, are unilateral and have not been discussed with the medical community. This offers disregards the nine four medical policy agreements made in 2020 and the discussions held by the Medical Issues Committee aimed at saving essential and reasonable medical services. We express deep regret over the government's action. The Korean Medical Association has responsibly participated in the Medical Issues Committee as a guardian of public health, proposing various alternatives. We have actively collaborated with the government with reviving the nation's essential and reasonable medical services that are on the brink of collapse. However, we are deeply concerned about the unilateral announcement of plans to increase medical school quarters, including an unscientific demand survey without proper discussion with the medical community. To address the immediate problem in essential and reasonable medical care, expanding medical school enrollment is not a fundamental solution. Priority should be given to more effective and immediate solutions, such as appropriate compensation in the essential medical field legal responsibility alleviation, work environment improvement, and infrastructure expansion. Furthermore, any discussion on expanding medical personnel should be preceded by an accurate analysis of the current situation and future demands for medical personnel. If an expansion is deemed necessary, concrete implementation plans must be developed to ensure increase the personnel contribute to essential and reasonable medical care. Uh, expansion of medical school enrollment should not be pursued hastily without objective and scientific evidence. Comprehensive improvement measures, including various support policies for essential and reasonable uh, medical care, financing methods, health care delivery systems, Compensation systems and plans for medical residents should be established and implemented first. The government has said that the issue is urgent. The Health Ministry's uh, Director General for Health and Medical Policies, uh, Chung Yang-shil, says that medical demand should be uh, based on population, and she cited recent OECD data as an example. In 2021, South Korea had 2.6 physicians per 1,000 people, which is significantly below the average of 3.7 of the 38 member states of the OECD. Uh, meanwhile, uh, arguments against the government's plan is that the number of doctors compared to the land size of Korea is superior to other countries in terms of access to medical care, and therefore uh, it is there are enough doctors, but the government is saying that uh, there aren't enough. Uh, what is your take on uh, the uh, health ministry's uh, remarks? Uh, yes, some argue that an expansion of medical personnel is necessary due to the lower number of doctors per thousand people in South Korea compared to the OECD average. However, 
a simple comparison of OECD statistics with varying criteria for calculating the doctor workforce and do not account for differences in healthcare systems, medical resources, and medical culture of each country is inappropriate. OECD international comparisons should only be reference material and not the primary basis for policy decisions. Uh, to determine the appropriate number of doctors, factors such as surgery waiting times, urban-rural doctor density disparities, number of outpatient visits and inpatient days by doctors, life expectancy, infant mortality rate, cancer mortality rate, treatable mortality rate, and COVID-19 medical response and excess data due to COVID-19 and so etc. All these things should be considered alongside the healthcare situation of each country. Uh, according to the OECD health statistics in 2022, South Korea's number of outpatient visits per capita is the highest among OECD countries at 14.7 visits per year, whereas the OECD average is 5.9. Other major indicators like the number of hospital beds, life expectancy, major disease mortality rate, and infant mortality rates also show significantly better figures than the OECD average. Uh, given our country's world-class medical services and accessibility, the claim that South Korea lacks doctors appears to be an irrational argument. The high workload of doctors and the exceptional medical efficiency compared to other countries are aspects widely acknowledged by medical experts. Still... Considering, yeah, considering the different medical environment systems, Levels of medical care, finances, and population structures of each country, it is not advisable to argue for an indiscriminate expansion of medical school enrollment based solely on a simple comparison of doctor numbers using OECD statistics. And furthermore, given the divided opinions among experts on the appropriate projection of medical workforce supply and demand, Predicting the future need of medical personnel accurately is challenging. Policies on the appropriate supply and demand of medical personnel who play a crucial role in healthcare services are directly linked to the life and health of the citizens and have significant impact on nation's finances and the overall medical industry. Therefore, they should be meticulously and cautiously reviewed from a mid- to long-term perspective, considering future population projections, further medical demand, and healthcare system and finances based on scientific evidence. And above all, to ensure the proper supply and demand of medical personnel and to strengthen the workforce in essential and regional medical care, Systematic planning should be established through careful and in-depth discussion with the Korean Medical Association. The stakeholders involved and rational solutions should be derived based on this plan. 
Okay, well, we appreciate you taking the time to let our listeners know about the KMA's position and informing us uh, of some of the latest developments as well. We'll be speaking to Dr. Do Kyung Hyun from the KMA. Thank you once again. Well, thank you very much. Now to get another perspective on this issue, we will connect with a doctor who is in favour of the government's plan. We have standing by on the line now Dr. Lee Han-sung, Doctor of Internal Medicine at Severance Hospital here in Seoul. Dr. Lee, hello and welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back. First off, can you walk us through the severity of Dr. Shortshiz in essential fields in Korea, especially in the provincial areas? How do you view the situation? Sure. Um... According to the data released by the National Health Insurance Corporation in 2022, there are 2135 primary pediatric clinics in the country, and among them, 1,124, which is almost over half, are located in Seoul and Gyeonggi province. In contrast, Gwangju, which is a major city in the southern area, has only 41, and South Jeolla province has only 26. Amongst the 226 local provinces in Korea, 20 of them had no pediatricians in the area, and 22 local provinces don't have doctors specializing in OBGY. 16 of them have neither. Is this a situation that affects your hospital as well? It is in Seoul, of course. Yes. um, So... Um, the acceptance rate for the next year's new resident for the whole country is very low for some subspecialties providing so-called essential care for pediatrics. Uh, out of 205 spots, only 53 applied. <coughs> Surgery, for instance, out of 195 spots, only 163 applied. And uh, OBGI, 122 out of 181. For our hospital, it's the same situation. And no residents applied for the pediatric and the OBGYN training program um, for next year, while emergency medicine barely managed to fill the quota. So uh, next year in December, this time, we will have zero pediatric residents in the entire hospital. I see. Why is this happening? What do you think are the major contributing factors to the shortage of essential medical personnel or healthcare disparities between the regions? Well, there are many theories. Uh, with the birth rates going down and the growing propensity to strike balance between life and work amongst the young doctors and the medical students, they don't see a bright future uh, in these areas, so-called essential medicine, which is driving down the competition. Um, there are also many other factors discouraging doctors to devote in session care, but uh, I can summarize it by the following. First of all, statistics show on average, while doctors in the essential care put in same or more hours into practice, they make limited income compared to the doctors working in aesthetics or plastic surgery. I'm not downplaying uh, the hardships or the efforts of the dermatologists or the plastic surgeons, but their practice is far more lucrative. Second, essential medicine is tied to the National Health Insurance Scheme, which means until they get reimbursed for the medical service they provided, the medical service is uh, scrutinized and the reimbursement process uh, itself is very time-consuming. 
it's due process, but at the same time, a lot of doctors feel it hassling to deal with the bureaucracy. Uh, third, if you practice med- uh, medicine, essential medicine, you are more likely to be involved in medical cases which can lead to unwanted lawsuits. In the field of medicine, it's important, impossible to uh, produce the best outcome at all times, but more often than not, you see families taking the cases to court. There are cases where malpractice is obvious and justice should be served, but whether it turns out to be malpractice or not, it causes tremendous stress to be involved in lawsuits and to be summoned uh, to court to testify. So then what's your take on the government's plan to increase the medical school admissions quota to help resolve some of these issues? So if you um, look at the demographic data and anticipate the short-term and long-term effects it will bring upon us. A lot of care in the future will be allocated to the seniors, which mostly require specialists in internal medicine, neurology, uh, rehabilitation medicine, and so forth. So with the limited number of doctors serving in these specialties, it will be uh, almost impossible to meet the demands. So in that regard, I have to agree with the government's stance on that issue. The Korea Medical Association, though, strongly condemns the plan, saying that the government uh, should instead be exploring ways to better allocate physicians uh, from the number it already has. What are views on this argument by the KMA? So uh, they are bringing a fair argument to the table. Increasing the quotas will take effect in maybe around 20 years from now. So what the government is proposing right now might be a solution in the long run, but cannot be a quick fix. What we need a policy, what we need is a policy to attract physicians who deserted their pediatrics, obstetrics practice for a career in aesthetics back to their original practice, or a policy to discourage doctors to jump into non-essential care. Uh, In tandem with reorganizing the quotas, raising the fees for service, or providing strong medical liability insurance Uh, on behalf of the doctors might be a strong driving factor for people to engage or pursue a career in essential medicine. Um, I think the KMA might be amenable to uh, those ideas. The KMA also argues that the plan will also bring about uh, various unintended uh, side effects. For example, there are concerns that the expansion will prompt more and more students in other science and engineering fields to choose medical school. It will essentially cause a brain drain from other fields into medical schools. Uh, what do you make of this concern and other concerns of unintended side effects? So uh, there's an economic, uh, economic theory, uh, one in particular, uh, they call the supplier-induced demand. Uh, the, decre- the increase in the number of doctors will drive up the total expenditure. Um, It can be threatening because it has the potential to dry out the insurance fund. But uh, it's still in theory and it's not proven yet. So I think we have to explore um, um, that theory or study that theory uh, more carefully to see if that's true. Uh, The expansion itself will draw a lot of more students who has the potential to contribute in their own way to the scientific community. Uh, It's worrisome that uh, a lot more students has the research potential to leave their field and jump into the medical uh, field, Uh, uh, but it can be fixed. 
what if the government can create an environment that strongly incentivizes uh, researchers that work in those areas? And uh, my proposal is that whatever they do, they should gradually increase the quotas rather than drastically. And I think the appropriate number should be around um, maybe 200 or 300 per year rather than uh, 1,000, what the government used to uh, uh, put forth, the numbers they should put forth. Well, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us today. We'll see how the situation develops. Uh, we've been talking to Dr. Yi Hansung from Severance Hospital. Thank you once again for your time. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index gained 1.69 points, or 0.07% on Tuesday, to close at 2,568.55. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also rose, gaining 7.34 points, or 0.86%, to close at 858.30. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened 10.6 won against the U.S. dollar, to close the day at 1,307.81. You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. We continue on now to Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some other news stories that have been trending online. And for that, we have with us contributor Diane Yu in the studio. Diane, hello. It's good to see you again. Hello, Jango. Let's get straight into the first story. What do you have for us? On the day of the 2024 College Scholastic Ability Test, or Sunung in Korean, a bell that signals the end of a test rang earlier than scheduled at the test site in Gyeongdong High School in Seoul. And Myeongjin, a law firm that represents 39 test takers who were affected by the bell ringing incident at the set school, announced that it filed a complaint with the Seoul Central District Court on Tuesday. They are demanding compensation of 20 million won per person from the government. That's about 15,000 US dollars. Yes, the Sunung is considered one of the most important tests in Korea, one mm-hmm. that could determine the rest of a person's life. So yeah. it is hugely uh, a significant test. So to have a bell ring early could mean that the rest of their life is affected. How did this happen exactly? Why did it ring early? According to the Seoul Metropolitan Office of Education, the exam-ending bell rang one minute and 30 seconds early at Gyeongdong High School. Reportedly, this was because one of the school's teachers, who was in charge of ringing the bell, incorrectly set the time while using a computer mouse. The school was using a manual bell ringing system on the day. You see, there are two methods of ringing the bell during the CSET, automatic and manual. Many test centers still go down the manual route due to concerns about errors in the broadcast broadcasting system. Myeongjin Law Firm pointed out that although more than a month has passed since the incident, the educational authorities have not offered an apology to the affected students nor made measures to prevent a recurrence. Uh, I believe the claims that the law firm is making on behalf of the students differ from the Seoul Metropolitan Office of Education side of the story, right? Right. They claim that the teacher did not use provided equipment and instead used an iPad to check the time. They also claim that while turning the tablet screen back on, the teacher mistakenly got the time wrong and rang the bell. Trying to correct the mistake, the school gave the test takers an additional 1 minute 30 seconds after the second period, but students claim that the whole process took around 25 Five minutes. 
Yes, they would have to enter the classroom, receive the test papers, give back the papers, and so on. So、mm. it would take longer. Right. The students say this process ate into their lunchtime, which further affected their performance. The law firm added that measures must be put in place to prevent recurrence in the future, and students must be compensated for at least one year for preparing for next year's test. Yes, it sounds like it is a distressing situation, of course,、yeah. uh, for the students, where every mark、uh, is important, especially if it means passing a threshold that gets you into your desired college or not.、Mm. Uh, we'll see how the suit、uh, unfolds.、Mm. Let's、uh, move on to the next story. What do you have for us? Norovirus, also known as the winter's vomiting bug, has come back again this winter. The number of norovirus patients reported by the Korea Disease Control and Prevention Agency on Tuesday. For the week of December third to ninth, was 159. This number is a 1.7-fold increase compared to the previous week. What's more alarming is that young children aged up to six years old account for 66% of all patients in Korea. Wow, that's not what you want to hear as a parent. Right.、Uh, as you said, norovirus usually breaks out during winter, and it requires extra caution as the Virus spreads very easily, right? Yes. To give you a bit of basic information about the virus, it's an intestinal infection that usually occurs from November to April of the following year in Korea.、Uh, it's notorious as it's highly contagious. Even if the virus survives only for about three days, if you have already been affected, the duration of immunity is very short. So people who have been affected are not safe from getting reinfected. Right. So, how do people get infected with the virus? Norovirus is mainly transmitted when people ingest contaminated water or fish and shellfish, such as oysters. It can also spread between people through direct contact or touching contaminated surfaces, and then touching your mouth or nose. And if infected, symptoms such as vomiting and diarrhea may appear within 12 to 48 hours, and some people may also experience abdominal pain, chills, and fever. And why is the number of patients with the infection particularly high among? Young children. Did the agency try to give an explanation? Yes, this is because it's hard for young children to keep their personal hygiene like adults. An official from the health agency said children are prone to get infected with the virus as they spend most of their time in a confined place with other children. Norovirus is also highly infectious, but there is no preventive、uh, preventive vaccine, so the best way is to follow hygiene rules.、Mm. So the agency added that regardless of age, people should remember. To wash their hands thoroughly for more than 30 seconds with soap to prevent infection. As distressing as it is, it is a disease that passes after a few days.、Sure. Dehydration is the biggest concern. I understand.、Mm. Uh, if there is an infection in your household, though, try to quarantine if you can. Otherwise, like we learned during the COVID nineteen pandemic, as you said, keep washing your hands and stay away from others who are sick. Correct. Okay, let's continue on to our final story. What else has been trending? We've covered many stories about how South Korea's birth rate has been plunging. In order to reverse the trend, the city of Incheon has come up with countermeasures. On Monday, Incheon Mayor Yoo Jung-bok recognized the severity of low birth rates in the nation and announced the so-called 100 million plus I Dream, which provides 100 million won to parents who give birth in Incheon. 100 million won is about 76,500 U.S. dollars. 
That sounds huge, uh, but we should point out that it is support that will be provided gradually until the child reaches adulthood, right? Right. It's also the first such policy to be introduced in the country. 100 million plus iDream provides constant support for all stages of children's lives until they reach the age of 18. The goal is to expand support where it's most needed, such as elementary, middle and high school education expenses, infant allowances and travel expenses for pregnant women. Additionally, Depending on qualifications such as individual circumstances and income, financial support of up to 340 million won will be provided. That's more than 260,000 US dollars. We should also point out that the 100 million won is actually can be seen as an expansion on existing support provided by the central government of 72 million won already. But mm-hmm. still, expanding it by 28 million won is hugely significant. Right. Uh, Mayor Yu, he said he announced this policy because he believes the current government's policies regarding increasing the birth rate have not been effective. Can you remind us how bad the situation is in Korea currently? Of course. Although the Korean government implemented policies to respond to low birth rates by investing on astronomical budget of 380 trillion won or over 290 billion US dollars from 2006 to this year, the country's total fertility rate in the third quarter of this year stood at 0.7. This birth rate rank is overwhelmingly the lowest among 38 OECD countries. The situation is so serious that there are even gloomy predictions that the total fertility rate will enter the 0.6 range in the fourth quarter of this year for the first time in history. So hopefully the city of Incheon's new policy will bring out the best results and alleviate the plunging birth rate in Korea. Of course, there are plenty of voices saying that simply throwing more money at the situation is not the answer. Still, I'm sure new parents would appreciate all the help that they can get. Right. That's where we're going to leave it for today's Korea Trending. Thank you for those stories, Diane, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Taekwondo, the Korean martial arts, has gained popularity across the globe, especially since it became an Olympic sport in the year 2000. Its emphasis on kicks, blocks and self-defense, along with its focus on discipline, self-control and respect, has attracted practitioners of all backgrounds. One of them is Claudia Cardenas from Ecuador. She is a multiple Bolivarian, South American, Pan American and world medalist. She founded her own Tojang as well. And then in 2020, she came to South Korea and she now works for World Taekwondo, the international federation governing the sport of Taekwondo. I'm delighted to say that she has dropped by our studio today for this week's Touch Base Insults. Tell us more about her story. Miss Cardenas, hello and welcome to the show. <laughs> hello, thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being with us here today. <laughs> Let's dive right in. Can you tell us about your story regarding Taekwondo? How did you begin? How did you first uh, discover Taekwondo? Well, I was born in the south part of Ecuador and my family decided to move to the capital city. So once we moved there, I like to say that Taekwondo found me. 
because we were living in the second floor of an apartment building mm. and in the first floor there was an empty space for rental mm. and one day my mom told me hey can you go and buy some bread and milk for breakfast and I say sure mom so I went out of my house and when I go went down the, the stairs I found this taekwondo dojang in this empty space R <laughs> so... wow okay so uh, dojang moved into the floor below where you lived yes exactly <laughs> So I was shocked. Mm. I saw it and yeah, I like to say I fall in love with it because okay. I was really impressed. And I saw little kids doing punching and doing kihap like ha ha and I was like, "Oh, I want to do that." <laughs> so I went back home and I told my mom like, "Please, please, please let me practice this sport." I didn't even know the name of the sport. Right. And my mom say, Where is the bread and the milk? And I was, ah, sure, yeah, yeah, I'll be back. <laughs> and yeah, after that, my mom got me in taekwondo training. That's a great story. So yes. how old were you at the time? I was 10 years old. You were 10 years old. And you never heard of taekwondo before then? No, no, not even the name of it. Okay, yes. okay. But then you saw it, you were like, I've got to try that. And so then when you began, what was it like? Oh, I love it. For mm. me, it was like, it was very joyful. And I like it because they didn't only teach us how to kick or how to punch, but also they made us repeat the tenets of Taekwondo every time. So that got into me since I was very young. Okay. When you say the tenets, what do you mean? Tenets, uh, courtesy, integrity, perseverance, self-control and indomitable spirit. I know them in English now, but I used to say it in <laughs> Spanish every time. Yeah. Right, so that's essentially a sort of uh, a motto, a way yes. to live uh, as you practice Taekwondo. It is, as you said, uh, repeated everywhere uh, around the world. And it appeared that you were very good at it as well. You started <laughs> entering competitions and you were winning them. Yes, I entered the national team in 2009, which was five years after I started. And I started competing for my country in several competitions around the world. Mm. What was it like competing like that uh, at a level <laughs> where you're winning competitions? At the beginning, I was very nervous. But as I gained more experience, it got more joyful than actually nervous. Mm. And yeah, I think my major achievements are the two world medals. And my last one, that was the bronze medal at the Pan American Games, which was already five years ago. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you think, was it about you that uh, made you so good at this? Was it something you found you were naturally talented at? Or was it something you worked at because you loved it so much? What was it? I think it's a combination. But mostly it's because I love it. Mm. I really enjoy every training. For me, it was not like, oh, I have to go for training because I have to win this competition. Now, for me, it was, I want to go to training because I love this. At the same time, understand that you were still able to hold down your studies uh, as well, earning a full scholarship eventually in engineering and then graduating with a degree in environmental engineering with a summa cum laude distinction, no less. That sounds mightily <laughs> impressive. How did you do all that? How did you juggle studying as well as finding time to be an athlete competing around the world? I think it's a combination of the love and passion I have for Taekwondo plus discipline and time management. And I think both of them, discipline and organization of my time, mm. was given by Taekwondo because I was 
taught discipline since mm. I started. So I think it's a combination of that. And I really like learning, so that also helped. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but uh, Taekwondo helped you learn discipline as well. And then I understand that you even established your own Tojang eventually. Yes, I started my Taekwondo school in 2018 with the passion to teach this tool to the kids, to mm. the children in Ecuador. I think Taekwondo has done for me a lot, and I want to be able to share that with children and youth in Ecuador. Right, it's called Himchari Dojang. Yes. Uh, how has it been running that Dojang uh, when you opened it, when kids started coming in and learning? How did it feel? It's very interesting because you can see different situations. For example, you see kids that really love it mm. and they have the same passion as I had. <laughs> so they want to go every day. They want to go to go there every day and to be training all the time. Even their parents tell us that. And regarding the management of the dojan, I really like it. But right now it's a bit difficult because I'm abroad. Of course. But of I course. have a very good team, so it keeps running. Well, sounds great. Yeah. As you said, you're here now in South Korea. Yes. Uh, you came in 2020. How did that come about? Oh, I applied for a scholarship in sport administration because I really wanted to deep to go deep in sport. Mm. So I came here with that scholarship, and uh, it was two years in Seoul National University, and then I graduated and I started an internship in World Taekwondo. Right, so you're working for uh, World Taekwondo at the moment. You are coordinator for the, uh, I believe, World Taekwondo Cares program. Exactly. Can you tell us more about that? Yes. Uh, well, my job started as an internship, but now I'm working there full time. Mm. And the World Taekwondo Cares program is a social responsibility program for developing countries. Mm. The target is to use Taekwondo as a tool for development and to use it as a sport for all. So I am the coordinator of that. And I really like it because it helps vulnerable communities through Taekwondo, like orphans and women victim of violence, reformatory inmates. So we provide them, we provide them with uh, Taekwondo equipment and Taekwondo training so as a tool for empowerment. That sounds amazing. So you said you came to Korea uh, on a scholarship for sports management. So that's where you want to go then. You want to perhaps continue working, I guess, for Taekwondo then, not just uh, be an athlete and running your own dojang, but you want to perhaps even move uh, uh, move your way up in the Taekwondo uh, world behind the scenes. Yeah, probably. I really <laughs> like Taekwondo, so... Uh, I've been an athlete, I've been a coach, uh, I've been around in different roles and right now I have the opportunity to be the manager, well the administrator of this program and yeah I want to keep doing that. I'm also involved in sustainability and integrity initiatives mm. which I really like so I think it aligns perfectly with what I love. Indeed that fits into <laughs> your degree in environmental engineering then I'm yeah, guessing. Sure. So then Looking ahead then, what are your future plans? You said you're uh, working here with a World Taekwondo, but looking further ahead, what do you want to do? I want to keep working with World Taekwondo because it gives me a position where I can make changes. Mm. But uh, still, I also have this desire to continue with my Taekwondo school in Ecuador mm. and maybe open more schools in Ecuador to provide this education to youth there. Well, I wish you luck on everything. <laughs> I, it sounds like you will 
uh, have a lot of uh, you have a lot of ambitions, but it sounds like you will be able to, uh, I'm sure, achieve them all. You sound very driven, and you sound like you've done so much already. I, I wouldn't put it past you. It's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you and learn about your story today. We're going to have to leave it there. Uh, we've been speaking to Claudia uh, Cardenas from Ecuador. Cardenas from Ecuador. Thank you once again for your time today, and we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And that wraps up our show. Thank you for staying with us. We'll be back at the same time tomorrow, so we hope you can join us again then. I've been your host, Kwon Jang-ho, and thank you, as always, for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow when you're driving in snowy conditions. On days with heavy snowfall, take extra caution on sloping lanes as you could easily lose control of your vehicle. On icy roads, refrain from speeding as slippery road conditions make it harder to steer or stop the wheels. Ensure you keep a wider distance with the car ahead of you as it takes longer to slow down. Drivers are also advised to use chains and other equipment to keep their tyres from slipping. If you don't have the proper equipment, spray sand or soil on the tyres and start off in second gear. When travelling to areas with extreme snowfall, make sure you check the road and traffic conditions before setting off. When stranded in heavy snow, call 119 for assistance. KBS World Radio strives to promptly update our listeners on safety procedures during emergency situations. The following are recommended guidelines to follow in the case of heavy snow. During heavy snow, stay indoors and wear warm clothing. Make sure you have enough basic supplies in your home to get you through the bad weather. If you take any medication, make sure you have an adequate amount. Check on vulnerable neighbours and ensure they have the supplies they need. Conserve fuel, lower your thermostat, close off unused rooms and cover your windows. Make sure to have battery-operated torches, candles and matches in case of a power outage. Please check our website at world.kbs.co.kr for up-to-date information and procedures. KBS World Radio.